0: If you've got kids ages three through kindergarten, they can come down here with Byron and Mariah. I'm sure uh, most of you have probably noticed by now, or maybe not, Uh, maybe you haven't been paying attention, but uh, the theme for our Advent series has been a longing, okay? We're all longing for something, we're desiring uh, for something, and so as we've worked through this passage in Isaiah that we've been uh, going through over the past few weeks, uh, we've discussed different types of, of Longing. we uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the longing for God's love. And, and then last week, uh, Byron did a great job uh, discussing the longing for God's peace. And, and so today, we're going to get into chapter sixty four of Isaiah, and, and we're going to talk about the longing for God's presence. Now, a couple weeks ago, when we talked about God's love, within that discussion, we we t- briefly discussed, uh, Judah's and Isaiah 's longing for God 's presence. they wanted to know that He was there. but as we get into chapter 64, we 're going to see that they want more than just to know that God is there. They want this extraordinary, uh, special showing of god 's presence. They, they don't want to just know, "Hey, God, uh, you're in heaven, you're still here with us. I just want to make sure you 're still paying attention." They don 't want that. They, they, they says that they want God to rend the heavens, to rip open the heavens. And experience this special presence. And so let's get into uh, the passage in Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verses 1 through uh, the first part of verse 5. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways." please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the instruction and the reproof that it gives us, and also the encouragement and the comfort that it gives us. And God, as as we discuss a longing for your presence, I pray that you allow us to feel your presence this morning, that you allow us to know and and experience your presence in this place as, as we read your word, as we study your word, and as we ask you to Use it to change our hearts and to draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to work through the passage verse by verse, like we normally do, but we're going to kind of flip the order. Uh, We're going to go through verse 4 and 5 and then come back to verses 1 through 3 and and discuss, uh, look at this passage in in that order. So I want you to look at verses 4 and 5 with me again, uh, because these are... Really phenomenal verses for, for Christians. It says, "From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways." So what that's saying is, God is kind to his people. Now, I know that seems very simple. We understand that, yes, God is kind. He's loving. He's compassionate. We understand that. We talked, we spent uh, the whole message a couple weeks ago talking about his love. So we understand that God is kind. However, that there is a depth to God's kindness that we cannot fully comprehend. That that there is a richness to his mercy and, and, and his compassion towards us that we cannot fully understand, no matter how much we explore it. That's how kind. God is. In fact, uh, verse 4 is repeated in 1 Corinthians 2 7 through 9 uh, by Paul. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about God's kindness. <clears throat> so in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 7. Paul says, But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he repeats Isaiah 64 and 4. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So what Paul is saying is the human mind cannot imagine, cannot fathom the good things that God has prepared for his people. And and, and that's what's so amazing about the gospel is God did not simply, and we talked about this when we talked about the idea of adoption a couple of weeks ago, but God did not simply rescue us from our sins. He didn't simply bring us to life and say, now you're on your own, I rescued you from your sin, uh, now it's all up to you. No, he brings us into his family, and he has an eternity's worth of blessings that he wants to shower us with. That's how kind God is. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Paul continues to talk about God's kindness. Starting in verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul is saying we weren't simply separated from God. We were actively rebelling against God. We were actively running away from God. We were actively fighting against God. We weren't simply separated from Him. We were children of wrath. We were headlong into sin when God came into our life. But in verse 4 he says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is so kind to his people that he wants to spend eternity showering us with grace and mercy and kindness. And that should be hopeful to a Christian if you've believed in Christ, if you trust in him as your savior, if you repent of your sins, if you follow him, if you're drawing near to him, if you're being conformed to his image, that passage right there should be all the encouragement that you need because you know that God has an eternity's worth of kindness and mercy and grace waiting for you. We serve a kind God. He's not cold, He's not cruel, He's not distant, He's not detached. He's kind to His children. I mean, think about this. If God has designed humanity as parents, okay, most parents naturally want to be kind to their children, okay? We want to uh, see their faces light up on Christmas morning whenever they get their gifts. We want to shower them with kindness. We want to bless them. We want to see them be happy and content and satisfied and joyful. We want that for our children. Well, how much more so does our heavenly Father want that for his children? We serve a kind God And Jesus encourages us uh, again in in John chapter 14. Jesus is actually preparing a place for us. He's preparing these blessings for us. In John chapter 14 verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. It's very important that we understand that Jesus is going to prepare this place for us. The kindness that God has for his people, the grace, the mercy, uh, these immeasurable riches of his kindness are extended to us through Christ. Through his completed work on the cross. If you are not in Christ, then this kindness is not Extended to you. I know that's not very popular for us because we like to think that well, all people are God's children and He wants to bless all of us. If you are outside of Christ, you are not a child of God, and this kindness is not extended to you other than the common grace that everyone experiences. And so Jesus is the one preparing. This place for us, and and that passage in in Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he wants to show us that kindness in Christ Jesus, but one thing we have to understand, this is an extremely hopeful passage, this is an extremely hopeful idea, this idea of God's kindness, but this kindness and and the the mercy and and all of these blessings that we're going to be showered with are not promised to us during this life. There are times we do experience God's kindness. There are times we experience His presence in a very special way, and that's what we're talking about this morning. But the the blessings that come from following Jesus don't necessarily come during this lifetime. Most of the promises that we have in the gospel come after this life. I know Joel Osteen loves to talk about having your best life now, but that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that the cross comes before the crown. Obedience, suffering, sanctification comes before the crown, before the glorification. And so this is something that we look forward to as we long for God's presence and His kindness but this promise is so great that, it, that Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, and 18. You don't have to look there, but it's a very popular passage. It says that these afflictions that we experience now are light and momentary. That they're preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And so I know there's a lot of us that, that are having a hard time. <clears throat> Uh, I I know there's a lot of us that are struggling right now. Okay, it's the holiday season. I know it's a weird year. Maybe there's some certain family members that you're not going to get to see for Christmas, and you're bummed about that. Maybe there's a lot of uncertainty with your job, and and you don't know if you're going to be employed in the next few months, and, and that has you concerned. Maybe you're not sure if the Cowboys are going to lose enough games to get the number one draft pick and be average next year. Maybe win four or five games. Okay, I know that right now is a difficult time for a lot of people, but remember Paul's teaching. We're being prepared for an eternal weight of glory. And whatever suffering you're experiencing right now is not going to even compare to the eternity of kindness that God is going to shower us with. So God is kind. And Isaiah and Judah, they fully understand that God is kind. Otherwise, Isaiah would not have written these words. He understands God's kindness. But in this moment, okay, because remember where Judah is right now. the, The northern kingdom has fallen. They've seen the Assyrians wipe it out. And God has promised them that the Babylonians are coming for them now. And their nation is going to be completely wiped out. They're going to be exiled. And so they're awaiting this judgment. And in this moment, they want a special showing of God's presence. They, they, they want a special presence of God. And so they're, they're, he, in verse 1, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. That, that word rend means rip open the heavens, tear apart the heavens. That's how extraordinary they want this showing of God's presence to be. They, they, they want him to rip apart heaven and come down to be with them. And I know a lot of times we want a special presence like that. We look around at our nation. We look around at even our community. We look around at the world and we say, I, I just wish that there would be some special presence of God so that these people would know. I, I, I wish that that God would make himself known to the world so that they would know what I know. Or maybe we think, man, it must have been so easy for the Israelites to believe in God, to trust in him because they they had all of these crazy things that God did for them and it was very real to them. And so we look at that and we say, I wish I had a special presence like that. Well, the Israelites in Judah and Isaiah—they were saying the same thing. They were saying that they were thinking back to the early times of their nation when God rescued them from Egypt, when God was on Mount Sinai, and they said, "Man, we really want that presence again. That would make things so much easier for us. It would make us easier, make it easier for us to follow God if we had that sort of presence." And we think that way a lot of times too. But we have to understand. God did come down from heaven. He did show up in a way that was unmistakable. He did show up in a way that was extraordinary. Jesus came into the world. He was God in the flesh. He fulfilled prophecies. He performed miracles. The world went dark at his death and he rose from the dead. In fact, in John chapter 21, verse 25, John says that if someone tried to write down all of the miracles that Jesus performed and all the amazing things that happened, the world world could not contain the books if all of the acts of Jesus were written down. And so God came to earth. He left heaven and came to earth in an unmistakable way. However... It wasn't quite the rending of heaven that Isaiah wanted. Because if you look at John chapter 1, in verse 9, we see it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So Jesus came to earth. He's God in the flesh. He he left heaven and became lower than the angels for a time. And he was unmistakably God. But it wasn't quite the rending of the heavens. It wasn't quite this extraordinary show of presence because there were still people that didn't recognize him as God. There are still people today, obviously, that don't recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so it wasn't quite this rending of heaven. However, the rending of heaven will come. That this opening up of heaven will come, and we see this in Revelation chapter 19. Towards the back of your Bible in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, or torn apart, or ripped open, or I saw heaven rended or rent, whatever the past tense of rent is, I'm not really sure. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood... While Jesus, his first coming was unmistakably God, it was unmistakably God in the flesh, the world still did not know him. But on his second coming, that will not be an issue because the heavens, <clears throat> the heavens will be opened up. He, he will be unmistakably God to every single human being and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord But we have to understand that the hope that we have in this second coming, so the day will come where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, we will get to share in the glory of Jesus for eternity, we'll be showered with God's kindness for eternity, but the hope that we have in that second coming is rooted and founded in the first coming. The coming in which the world did not know him, the coming in which his own people murdered him. In that sacrifice, in that laying down of his life, Jesus solidified and sealed the hope that we have in the gospel message. Jesus completed the work that made the second coming possible, that made him king of kings and lord of lords, that gave him the name above every name. The hope that we have in the second coming is rooted in the first coming, and we cannot forget that. We cannot forget the sacrifice and the blood that was shed for Jesus to be the mediator of the new covenant. And so, as we look back to God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that gives us hope for this fulfillment of his presence. Because as we long for God's presence, as we long for this extraordinary showing of his presence, we know that one day that will become a reality. And we look back to find our security in the completed work of Christ and knowing that one day we will be with Him in the fullness of His presence. And so we have that hope, we have our security in the completed work of Christ, we, we have the hope in His second coming. But sometimes, simply having that intellectual knowledge, that intellectual understanding that... The second coming is, is what we're looking forward to. That's not always enough. It wasn't enough for Israel, for Judah, for Isaiah to have an intellectual understanding of God's presence or his promises. They wanted to experience his presence right then. And there's times where we want to experience God's presence. And, and, and so, just like Judah, okay, and it's very interesting about Judah. Judah, in verses two and three, it says, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. So what Judah's doing here is they're thinking back to the early days. When they're talking about the, the, your adversaries trembling before you. They're thinking back to days like at the Battle of Jericho. You see in Joshua chapter 2, when the spies who were sent into Jericho were talking to Rahab. Chapter 2, verse 9. Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So Judah's thinking back, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had that kind of presence of God with us? I bet Babylon wouldn't mess with us if we had that kind of presence of God. And they're also thinking about the appearing of God at Mount Sinai when the law was given to Moses, and... The mountain was covered in clouds and there was thunder and lightning and Judah's saying, we want that kind of special presence. We want that kind of special showing that, that God is here, that he is present. But the irony of that is God had given them several means by which to experience his special presence and they chose to neglect them. They're longing for this past time. And they're. Oh, I wish we were back at Mount Sinai. I wish we were back at Jericho where it was so evident that God was with us. We, we could feel God's presence. We could experience it. It was so real to us. They're longing for that. But the irony is God had given them ways to experience his special presence. They had the temple, which the whole purpose of the temple was to be symbolic of God's presence, God is spirit, and so he doesn't actually need a house to stay in. So it's not that God dwelt in the temple as if we were dwelling in a house, but what the temple did was it represented God's presence. That was the showing of God's presence. The Israelites could have gone to Jerusalem and worshipped at the temple and had this special experience of his presence, but they neglected the ceremonial law. They also had the law. (coughs) They could have read what God had given them at Mount Sinai. They could have read this law. It was the whole purpose of Mount Sinai was to give them the law. They could have experienced his presence in the reading of that law, in the study of that law, but they neglected it. And we do the same thing so often. God has given us ways in which we can experience a special presence, in which we can experience him but we neglect him. We, we long for him to rend the heavens. We long for him to have these uh, extraordinary acts that let us know that he's here and let us experience his presence. But we neglect the ordinary means in which he's given us to experience his special presence. And, and there's really three ways that God has given Christians the ability to experience his presence. And the first one is His Word. When you read God's Word, when you devote yourself to it, when you study His Word, you have a special experience of God's presence because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. That means that all Scripture is inspired by God. As the writers of the Bible were writing these texts, The Holy Spirit was working in them to say exactly what he wanted them to say. So it's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And on the flip side of that, when a Christian reads those texts, when a believer, when a regenerate Christian that has the Holy Spirit within them, has God present within them, when we read his scriptures, the Spirit uh, a lot of theologians call it illumination. The Spirit illuminates that text to us. So when a Christian reads the Bible, they understand it in a way that non-Christians don't because non-Christians don't have the Spirit within them. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> in verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And and so Christians, whenever we're studying God's Word, whenever we devote ourselves to God's Word, we experience a special presence of God because through the Spirit, He's working within us to teach us His truths. They are inspired by Him through the apostles, and they are illuminated to us through the Spirit. And so as you read your Bible, I know that sounds so simple, like me reading my Bible is, is going to let me experience God in a special way. Yes, it will. Because the Spirit will be working within you to reveal the truths that are in His Word. The second way that God has given us to experience His special presence is through the observance of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just a few pages to the right, Paul tells us that the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. Uh, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith uh, in 1689 puts it this way. And I think they do a really good job at explaining this. It says, worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of His death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward so the, the, the big uh, argument between Protestants and, and Catholics, one of the big arguments, was uh, transubstantiation. So the, the Catholics believe that uh, during the Lord's Supper, the actual substance of the bread and the wine actually becomes a, physically Jesus' body and blood. And, and Protestants said, no, 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 it's not a physical presence of Christ there. It is a spiritual presence, but it is a presence nonetheless, <clears throat> when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're not simply remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. We are experiencing a very special presence of Christ spiritually during that time. And so there's so many of us that cry out for, for this special presence of God. We want God to make Himself known, but we don't take the Lord's Supper seriously. God's telling you, I've given you, I've given you an ordinance that allows you to experience my presence in a special way, but you don't take it seriously. You just go through the motions. It's just something you do at church every now and then. And so he's given us the Lord's Supper to experience in him, to to experience a special presence. And then finally, the third way that we, we experience God's presence is through other believers, Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? So, as a believer, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. So, one, we always have God with us, He's always present with us because He's dwelling within us through the Spirit. But at times when when we come together as believers, we can experience a more uh, intense, more special presence of God with other believers because you're surrounded by people who also have God dwelling within them. And so many times we we neglect the importance of the local church, we neglect the importance of communion with, with fellow believers, and we fail to experience the presence of God through other Christians, God has given us one another to be present with us. He is present with you through other believers. Ed Welch puts it this way. Everything changed when Jesus came. He died for sins, rose from the grave, and then at Pentecost sent the Spirit. The professional religious caste was no longer the titled few. Now followers of Jesus have the competencies needed to encourage and instruct each other. Having the Spirit does not mean that otherwise blank minds suddenly become streams of profound insight and comfort to those in need. We remain fully capable of saying stupid and hurtful things. Amen. But it does not mean that our ability to help, but it does mean that our ability to help will bear the marks of the Spirit such as patience and kindness. So when when you're distressed like Judah was, when you feel like life is falling apart and you want to experience God, do you go to his word? Do you take the observance of the Lord's Supper seriously? Do you go to other believers so that you can have that presence of God through them? Or do you go to your non believing friends for advice? God has given us ways to experience him in a special way, but so often we neglect them, and we just want him to rend the heavens right now. God, I want you to, I want to experience you right now. And God's saying, I've given you ways to experience me, and you neglect them. So it's it's perfectly normal to want some supernatural showing of God's presence right now. Okay, we we want, as, as Christians, we want the unbelieving world to know he's real. Okay, we we want, God, why can't you just show up in this really powerful way so that you can show these people who you are? It's it's normal for us to want that as believers. And it's also normal for us at times to want some sort of showing of his presence in a special way because we just need to reassure ourselves that all of this is real. I want to encourage you, though, Remember that God has come into this world in a mighty way in the person of Jesus Christ. He has unmistakably come into this world. And because of the work that He did at the first coming of Jesus, at the first coming of the Messiah, we can have hope in the second coming. We can have hope in the future, uh, in the future rending of the heavens. And in the meantime, don't neglect the means that God has provided us to experience his presence through. Don't neglect his word. Don't neglect coming to his table and taking the Lord's Supper seriously and experiencing that presence. And don't neglect the communion with fellow believers. Don't neglect the fellowship with fellow believers because he has given us all of these things to experience himself. You may not have a Mount Sinai experience, but you will experience the presence of God as we wait on the day that we'll have perfect communion with our Savior and with the whole church. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you came down from heaven to to lay your life down on the cross. And it's in that sacrifice that our hope in the future is rooted. We thank you that we can... Have complete faith and trust in the promise of your second coming and the future rending of the heavens. God, we thank you that we can be 100% assured in that. And God, I pray that as this local body of believers that when we desire your presence, when we desire to know you, when we long to be with you, that we wouldn't neglect the ways that you've provided us to experience your presence, that we wouldn't neglect your word or the Lord's Supper, or that we wouldn't neglect being with one another. God, please let us see and understand and take seriously the ways that you provided us to experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.